Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's been a year, if you can believe it, since the tragic and untimely death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, plus seven other folks in that tragic helicopter crash outside of Los Angeles. But this week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we reflect back on the previous year and Kobe with a special guest from LA. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3 and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I am King McClure, along with my co-host Monica McNutt. As we record this show on Tuesday, January 26th, it is the first anniversary of... Hey, the horrific accident that happened with Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others. Um, man. Well, we'll get to our special guest in a minute, but Monica, hey, can you believe like it's been a year? Loki feels like it was like just yesterday, to be honest. It's somewhere between like yesterday and years ago at the same time. It's <laughs> super weird. Um, I was actually in Texas. I was calling TCU West Virginia. Mm. And I remember my fantasy football group text was like, yo, TMZ tripping for this one. They should get shut down because they had it first. Yeah. And we was looking like, what? And then the girls, West Virginia was finishing up shoot around. Um, and, you know, their girls are, those girls are what his oldest daughter's age. Um, mm. And like the girls were visibly shook, like calling their parents. Like it was really solemn. Um, Coach Carey, Mike Carey at West Virginia actually canceled the rest of shoot around. Um, mm. It was it was wild, and I, and I just hope, and I haven't really been paying attention to television so far today, but I hope that folks honor Vanessa Bryant's request in that we make this a celebration, as opposed to looking back on some of the very vivid pictures um, from the accident. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was. I was driving back from my daughter's house because she lived like two, three, two and a half hours away. I was driving back and like the Baylor group chat, we st- I'm still in there. It was like, oh, Kobe died. And I'm like, bro, like, like same thing, same reaction that you had. I'm like, bro, like that's not funny. Like whoever's making this joke, like that, that that's not funny. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like when it, when it finally hit, I was like, bro, this doesn't feel real. And like, I really, I never even met Kobe, but like he was like a hero. He was like a, one of my idols. And he was like, he was almost like he was a superhero in a sense. Like he was invincible. Like there's no way this could happen to Kobe. Like he was one of those people. Like there's no way that 
death could hit could strike him because he, he's never gonna die because he's just Kobe Bryant. Or if he does die, he's gonna die. He's like a hundred years old. But like nobody would have ever guessed. And yeah, it, it it was surreal. It it just it really shook me. I ain't gonna cap. I, I was in the car crying. Like I almost had to pull over because it, it it hit me so hard. Because he was like literally like my my idol, like one of the few people I've ever like really just looked up to. But hey, but then I feel like that just started like twenty twenty one. I mean twenty twenty off like bad. Like I feel like after that everything else just went downhill. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it, I don't know, I mean, you know, I'm not the oldest, but I don't know of a more, I guess Michael Jackson? Michael Jackson was tough. No, not, not for me, but my, Michael Jackson was tough for everybody. Like, I, I knew some people that were Aaliyah, like, actually, was devastated. I remember my classmates being like crying when Aaliyah passed. <laughs> um, It really, it makes you, I think, the one thing that I think is unique about Kobe compared to entertainers, um, because he voiced his personal creed and his ethos of working so hard every day and not being outworked and the urgency with which he just played basketball, it reminds us of, I think, the urgency with which we should live. Mm. And for someone like Kobe, to meet such an untimely end, like it really reminds us that he was right and he lived that, that nothing is promised to us. And I think if you really let that soak in, you don't take advantage of opportunities. And you and I have seen that this year, particularly amongst the college ranks, as we're talking to players and coaches, there's a different level of appreciation for every game and not to trivialize Kobe's life, but I mean, he was a basketball player. And so COVID has forced these young people in a way to appreciate every opportunity to play that, before may have been taken for granted. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the thing that I was most, the thing that hurt me the most was, it wasn't the fact that Kobe died, it was, it was how he died. Like he died with his daughter in his arms, like his, his daughter right there next to him. Like knowing that the knowing that the helicopter was about to, about to crash and like that kind of hit me because you know, I got a daughter. And I was like, dang, if I was in that moment, what would I tell my daughter? Like, what would be my last words to my daughter? Like, what did Kobe say to his daughter when they both knew that they was probably about to about to die? Like, I, I just can't wrap my head around that. And I, I, I still can't get over that. Like, I, I, I hate to like even envision that, but I'm just like, dang, like as a father, what, what, what do you tell to your, to, to your daughters and to your daughter in that moment? You know, it's kind of funny that that's where you went, but I kind of had a, a smile on my face in that he was doing what he loved. And I know how important my dad has been to my basketball career as a girl dad, right? Like they were on their way to a tournament. Um, And so in a way, of course, no one wants the ultimate outcome, but in a way for me, it was like, well, you know, that it put perspective, just going with your dad to a game. Like he was just doing the normal thing. And so um, I hope that this week today, obviously you keep, the Bryant family and our prayers, the Altabelli family, so the everybody involved. And I think it must be very unique for those people who are not Bryant as they are grieving um, 
this day will always kind of be celebrated on the national front because all of that, all that Kobe and Gianna meant, but the Altabelli family, the Chester family, the Mauser family, the Zobayan family, I mean, we're talking about four families in addition to the Bryants that were forever changed today. So, or today, a year ago, but definitely want to keep those folks in our prayers and hope that um, the memorials and celebrations today bring a smile to their face. Um, I'm sure they will also be accompanied with tears, but um, you know, time has a way of healing. Most definitely. Shout out to Vanessa Bryant and the rest of the Kobe's daughters who are still thriving and, and trying to, you know, get over that horrific loss. But hey, it's a new year, 2021, and hopefully this can just be a celebration today and we move forward and have plenty more celebrations in the year. But Monica, you have a dope guest coming up. Here you go. Today on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we have a very special guest to help us remember Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, and their seven friends on the first anniversary of the helicopter accident. He is George Sedano of ESPN, and you've seen him on SportsCenter, The Jump. He hosts a radio show on ESPN 710 in Los Angeles with Elsie Granderson from 4 to 7 Pacific time. George, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good to be here with you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And I think you have um, such a unique perspective because you are in LA. Obviously you've covered the NBA for a long time and you have a radio show. So you're hearing from fans, I'm sure this day last year and then today on the anniversary and so on and so forth. Just what has it been like, I guess, in the last year amidst the Lakers, another championship run? Uh, it's been wild, right? Like the entire, um, gosh, calendar year has been pretty wild or even further back than that, right? Like we all know what we've dealt with from the pandemic's perspective. Um, but just this NBA season that we just completed and the one we're starting now has so many pitfalls, right? And I think that the fact that the Lakers were able to be the ones to hold up the trophy after all the stuff that teams and everyone, obviously, uh, has had to endure was pretty special. Uh, I think that also because of the passing of Kobe Bryant, right? There was this extra emotional feel, I think, for Laker fans for them to get it done in the year that Kobe passed away. And, you know, the no better way to honor Kobe's legacy than winning a championship because that's what he was all about. And, you know, they seem to be at least focused here early on to try to accomplish another championship, right? And, and go back to back, which is something we saw Kobe do as well. So it's been a really emotional time here in LA, very up and down with everything that everyone's dealing with. And certainly because here in Los Angeles, we, we have been very much on a roller coaster with COVID. Uh, I think that it, it has presented a number of different challenges for fans, players, organizations here alike. But ultimately, I think that people here are just excited to have any semblance or slice of normalcy, Monica. And I think the Lakers bring that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask you, um, Kobe's death is one thing, the pandemic, um, all the social injustices, all, all of that happening. What do you think Kobe would say about athletes or the NBA forging on in the midst of all of this? You know, I didn't know him very well, okay? So I, I don't want to act like I know what he would say. Um, but, I mean, he's the ultimate competitor. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that – I know this about him, is that the bubble environment would have been all him. Like, he would have loved that because it was all basketball all the time. And I think that's what mattered the most to him while he was a player. 
you know, beyond obviously the obvious of family and things of that nature. But, you know, that to him was his kind of uh, Valhalla, right? So I, I think that Kobe would have certainly been a big proponent of playing in the bubble um, and just really thriving in that particular environment. As far as playing now, I, I think he, you know, he's very much a statesman of the game. And I think that he and Adam, much like LeBron and Adam and all the stars, Steph Curry, uh, consult with Commissioner Silver all the time on things and what steps need to be taken. And that stuff gets decided with the Players Association as well and Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul. I think he would have been on board with whatever the decision that that hierarchy would have made. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great answer. I could only imagine him in the bubble. Uh, some of the fun tributes that have been rolling down social media today include, was it last year or it might have been the year before that? Do you remember, George, when he posted his, I believe that there was a segment on this on the jump. In fact, he posted his Giannis team. They came in fourth place. And there was this caption about, you know, not necessarily fourth place, not being winners. And everyone was sort of in a tirade about whether or not Kobe was being too hard on these girls. And then he posted, I believe, to Twitter, a picture where they did ultimately smile, even though they weren't happy about the fourth place win. Um, and it just, it sparked so much conversation about coaching you sports and Kobe's high standards. Um, do you remember that at all? I do, I do <laughs> remember it. And I do remember this, this subsequent conversation um, but look, maybe it's I'm a little old school because, I, you know, I'm also someone in my early 40s now. And I, you know, I grew up in an era of no participation ribbons. Right. And I grew up in an era where you had to compete. And if you lost, that was a learning experience and you treated it as such. So I, I was all in with his position on it. I know he did soften it a little bit, as you said, on the back end, um, because I also think that social media you know, people, I still think today, Monica, I don't think they understand that social media is a snapshot of a moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't reflect your feelings about things in the bigger picture necessarily, unless you go into that sort of detail. But I think that a specific tweet or an Instagram post, or I'm not on Facebook, but a Facebook post or whatever, I think all those things are only indicative of the feeling in that particular moment and not indicative of anything that even happened before or after in a lot of cases. So, of course, everyone would hyperventilate at something like that because that's the unfortunate downside to social media. As much as it creates a connectivity we've never had before, obviously, um, you know, and there's pros and cons to that. Yeah. Uh, but one of the cons is that people will take things uh, out of context a little bit because the context on something like that was literally uh, a moment in time, a snapshot, and people want to take that as uh, something larger than that. Yeah, it, it is. It was an interesting conversation, um, but I think it also represents an intersection of this loss that the women's game felt in particular in that Gianna yeah. Bryant had already been crowned next up. I mean, she's got, I believe, four teammates with her. We knew about the Mamba AAU program. Um, I know for me, as someone who grew up playing ball and going to games with my dad, while we didn't have a helicopter in a eerie way there was the smile about a dad and daughter doing what they love to do um but in Kobe's memorial we saw two of the greats of the women's game Sabrina Ionescu Diana Taurasi speaking we knew Kobe had on the orange sweatshirt on the sideline at the Lakers game and not just the Philadelphia Eagles cap um and so whether it is because he truly respected the game or whether it was in fact it is both I believe that he respected the game whether it was men or women and his daughter's bright future um when you think of Kobe's legacy as far as 
the big picture and even the women's game, what comes to mind, particularly in LA where they're accustomed to winning in the WNBA as well. Yeah, look, I think he was a perfect statesman as far as promoting the game, um, whether that was the mentality that you needed. Um, you know, we all know about the Mamba mentality. And look, I'll tell you this, living in L.A., um, people apply that to their regular life, whether it's athletics or not, right? And I think that that is a real credo that people lived, live by here. Still to this day, I think that that's something that's really pervasive. And honestly, it really is just about hard work and determination and not letting, uh, you know, failures kind of affect you in a way where you give up, right? That they only fuel you. And I think that that motto or credo is something that anyone can apply in any walk of life. So whether it's the men's game, the women's game, um, you know, or anything you do, whether you're uh, a plumber, an accountant, you know, what, you know, a salesperson, whatever it is you do, you can apply those particular um, feelings to anything you do. And I think that that that's really his, his legacy. And I know, look, there are a lot of things. People are not one thing. Life is complicated. People are complicated. Things are complicated. And, you know, there are people make mistakes. Um, people have to learn and grow from those mistakes, though. And I think that the unique situation of Kobe Bryant is that we really saw Kobe Bryant grow up, you know, literally grow up from a child into a man. And along that ride, Monica, it wasn't always roses and rainbows. You know, we saw a lot of different things. And I think that if there's anything you can take from his career or his life is that, is that there are going to be challenges, some that you create, others that just jump in your way because that's life and you have to find a way to overcome them in some way, shape or form. And I think that that is kind of his overlying legacy. And in regards to helping promote the women's game, there was clearly no one more uh, important from the men's game perspective in promoting the women's game because he was their front and center. As, as you pointed out, he had uh, daughters, um, you know, Gigi obviously was the one that was the most interested in basketball of all his daughters. Uh, obviously, the two of them are so young that we wouldn't know uh, or we won't know for a while. Um, but Natalia, you know, was more of a volleyball player. She was more of an art artist type. Um, but Gigi was a basketball player. And, and I think that Kobe, Kobe and her had that bond because of basketball, you know, beyond just father daughter. Right. And I was able to witness that I was at the last game he attended at Staples Center. I was doing that game on the sidelines. It was a Lakers Mavericks game uh, at Staples Center. And I'm sure people have seen the picture of him and uh, Gianna at the game. And he's wearing the big puffy, uh, you know, orange, bright orange um, kind of cutoff, uh, yeah. you know, puffy jacket. And, you know, I remember that game vividly uh, for a number of reasons, not just because that ended up being his, the last game he attended at Staples Center, uh, but I remember because I, I ran into him in the hallway um, right before halftime, Luka Doncic turned his ankle and I was you know, doing my job, just going back to the Dallas locker room to see if there was any update on Luka. And he walked by and we just kind of head nodded and just kind of kept it moving. Like, you know, you know, but because you don't know, like in your, there's no way in, you know, in the world, I would have thought that was the last interaction I would have ever had with him. And again, not that I had this, uh, you know, extensive relationship with him, but, you know, Kobe always knew who everyone was. There was no question about that. That was very important to him that he knew who everybody was in the media. Um, and, 
I think of that, and I also think of the fact that Luca told us after the game that Kobe, like he was inbounding the ball uh, by where Kobe was, um, and, and all of a sudden someone started trash talking to him in Slovenian, and he was like, "Wait a second, what? What? Like, who, who is that?" And he turns around, and it was Kobe, and they started laughing, and then he inbounded the ball, and they talked about it obviously after the game. He took a picture with, G- with Gianna. Um, but I, there's so many vivid memories from that last game that he attended Staples Center. It is, it is wild. And, and I obviously, you know, I was working the night um, that he passed and just, you know, all of it just seems surreal. Like, it doesn't seem like he, like, to me, it's still hard to comprehend that he's gone. Agreed. 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 Between everything that has transpired globally since that happened and just the idea that we were going to see Kobe come into Staples Center with a cane because that was the plan. Um, right. It is it is indeed super, super surreal. Um, all right, George, before we let you go, I, I have to do this to you because you're in L.A. Who do you you're see right. as the biggest challenger to a potential Lakers repeat this season? Whew, okay. Um... So I think in the West, the only team I would put in that category are the Clippers. I think the Clippers are better this year. Um, I think that, you know, and this is not a knock on Doc. I love Doc Rivers. But I think that, you know, Ty has a different approach. Ty Lue has a different approach to things. Um, And I think you're seeing that. I also think Ty is very detail-oriented, particularly on offense. And I don't think the team had much of an identity on offense last year. So, and I think that they're cultivating one right now. And I think that they'll work on the defense. They, they're going to be a good defensive team. And I think that they will be, or they are a very good defensive team, but I think they'll be even better. But I think that part will come easier for them because they have such great individual defenders. But the offense was such a mess at times last year. It felt like they were kind of taking turns between Paul and, uh, and Kawhi. And even, you know, Lou Will and Montrez uh, with the second unit. I just felt like it was a bit disjointed. This year, it seems more seamless. So I would say the Clippers in the West and then in the East, you know, really only the Nets, if they were to come out because of the firepower they have at the top, uh, obviously they have a long way to go. They have struggled at times, you know, early on, we saw them with the Cleveland game, you know, they were nip and tuck with Miami who was only playing with eight players yeah. and without Jimmy and hero and Bradley missing three starters. Um, you know, they clearly have work to do on the defensive end, but I think as we get closer I just think that the teams with that kind of talent generally find themselves in a position to be in the finals. Um, So because of that, there are some mismatch situations they could take advantage of. However, I just think the Lakers are going to repeat because we see LeBron playing at MVP level. And I just don't think that there is probably, all right. I just don't think that there are enough teams that have a real solution to try to defend Anthony Davis. Um, You know, I, I don't see Giannis as that guy. I don't see anyone on the Nets being that guy. Um, maybe if Miami, you know, were able to get healthy and get their stuff together because they've already seen them once, maybe Bam could have a outside shot of being that guy. Uh, Joel Embiid, though, probably um, could could be one of those guys. I but I feel like the East is just so is going to be so competitive at the top, um, and even teams like the Heat, who are have been ravaged by COVID and injuries. I still be there in the mix at the end. Uh, once playoff time comes, as long as they're in the, in the tournament, I think that they're going to be a really tough out. Um, and I think that Philly, Milwaukee, the Nets, 
Boston, God, all those teams are so close that I think the, the whoever comes out of the East may be a little gassed, to be honest, by the time they get to the West. And it's crazy to say that, Monica, because it's usually the opposite. We usually say it's the West team that is super-duper gassed coming out of the playoffs. I actually think the top of the East after that first round is going to be a bloodbath. Um, I think that that is sound thinking, George. Thank you for joining us. The idea that Joel Embiid would be healthy for a series to deal with AD, it's whimsical, <laughs> um, but right. it, it's interesting. Um, I get you're right. When you think of skill set, he might be the most poised to do it physically, but we got to see if he can literally do it physically or if, if he even gets there to your point. Um, but George, thank you so much for joining us. If any of our listeners want to hear George and LZ's show on ESPN 710 LA, you can dial it up on ESPN Radio or ESPN Radio, the app. George Sedano, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for having me. That was dope. <laughs> Great stuff there from George Sedano. Plenty to think about and mull over. But King, I know there's another topic that you want to get in on this episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Man, oh, man. The beautiful, I don't want to say beautiful, um, the glorious uh, NCAA. <laughs> These are all very complimentary and affirmative adjectives, but please continue. Mm, I mean, it was sarcasm because they're <laughs> not, not too much to say right there, but the NCAA, everybody. Sportico reported yesterday that, well, today is Tuesday, so they reported on Monday that the NCAA said that it lost $800 million in revenue from canceled March Madness, from the cancellation of March Madness last year. Yo, Monica, $800 million, almost a billion dollars. So you mean to tell me that that one tournament, you lose $800 million in revenue, right? And you can't pay student athletes? How does that make sense, Monica? So all that money, yeah. I, I think that the average fan doesn't understand how to conceptualize paying student athletes. So what do you envision if we were gonna pay student athletes? Um, me personally, I think that you can't just pay student athletes a salary in, in a sense. Um, Cause I think that then it gets really chippy because it's uh, starters get so much, bench players get so much and you get paid based off your, your your minutes or your production. And then I feel like a lot of kids aren't mature enough to handle that because some of them come in at 17, 18, 19, and that's just, the immaturity is just not ready for that. But I do think two things that you can do that's actually, that are actually reasonable. I think you can, the, the name, image, and likeness, I feel yeah. like that that's your name, that the NCAA is the only company, the only brand that does not allow people to make money off of their own image or likeness. Anybody else with a regular job can do that. Any other regular student in college can do that. So I think that that'll be fair if you do that. That's one. Two, we already get stipend checks. So at Baylor, we got 1500 a month. I think based off what the NCAA makes, the revenue, I think you can take that 1500 and give it, maybe triple it. Maybe go from 1500 to 4500 or 5000 a month. And I feel like that won't do anything to their pockets. And I won't do anything to them. I think that's reasonable. As a matter of fact, you only got to triple it. You could probably double it and go three thousand a month. I think that that that's more than it's more than fair. I mean, that's 
Because when you look at it, they're making a billion dollars a year off of, off of student athletes. Imagine how much money they made off of Zion Williamson. I, I like just just imagine how much revenue Zion himself brought the NCAA. He doesn't take any he doesn't take any of that money back. And I'm not saying he should get all of it or whatever because yes, he's still a student athlete, but he should still get more. We should get more than what we than what we get. I definitely agree with you 100% on the name, image, and likeness between all sports, not just basketball, football. It should not be a violation for the swimmer and his YouTube page. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, I do think, and I know the A-10 did this, I want to say two years back now, there is a cost of living analysis in which they determine, you know, what their kids need to be able to be comfortable on campus and not go without. Um, but I agree with you. I think you got to look at the sports that are generating revenue in particular. And I know the other side of this is now it becomes a recruiting ploy and which sports yeah. generate the most and who can afford to pay their athletes, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's not my problem. Figure it out because the kids shouldn't be at a disadvantage because of the way that the system is structured. That makes billions, literally capital B, billions of dollars off their back. Time to wrap things up for this week. Thank you to our guest, George Sedano of ESPN, for his personal reflections on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. This week, Mike Wise has legendary coach, George Carr, who is happy with the new president. Full Court and Fisher and Kay has Chad Acock of Turner Sports with his thoughts on the best college hoops team not named Gonzaga and Baylor. Shout out to my Bears. You already know what we do. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron has Coach Dave Miller, a close friend of Kobe Bryant, with his reflections on his life and legacy. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And I'm back with Monica next Thursday with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. All right, people. Yes, we're into 21, a new administration, and there are vaccines, but COVID-19 is still no joke, and we cannot afford to get weary, especially with new strains popping up here in the United States. Please do all you can to protect yourself and others. Wear a mask when you're out, maintain your distance as best you can, wash your hands even more than before, and just in general, be considerate of those around you. Definitely keep the frontline workers, both in the hospitals, in the grocery stores, um, the teachers, keep all of those folks in your thoughts and prayers. And until next week, there's so many to pick and choose from. Enjoy your hoops. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.